Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Do you want to become insanely successful? Do you want to be the go-to guru in your industry? Do you want to be talked about for all the right reasons? For over 40 years, Kevin Harrington has helped people just like you become significant influencers. Now he's broken the process down in the key person of influence roadmap, and it's yours for free. Just text KPI to him at 727-888-2100. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free step-by-step guide. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 to get the recognition you deserve and experience the success as the go-to voice everyone listens to in your industry today. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Mark Fenner of the Rise Performance Group. Mark has helped hundreds of organizations build high-performing cultures, nurture world-class leaders, and push the envelope of profitability, something we all want to do. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Seth, it's great to be here. All right, Mark, let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? Well, I started in 2011. I was for a company and happened to be in San Francisco the, st- the day that Steve Jobs died, October uh, 5th, 2011. And you know, Seth, Steve did this famous uh, speech at Stanford University. And in that speech, he kept saying, you got to do what you love. And he said, anytime I get up and, and ask myself, you know, if today were my last day, would I want to do what I'm about to do? And he said, anytime the answer to that question has been no too many days in a row, I know I need to change. And so I literally pulled off the 101, looked in the mirror of that rent car, and I said, Mark, if today were your last day, is this what you'd want to do? And I was like, no. And I just decided in that moment to make a change and uh, got started with, uh, with a company, you know, selling leadership assessments. And that took me into leadership development. And now I'm a scaling up strategy. And, and it's just the best decision I ever made. Well, congratulations. That's absolutely incredible. And I love how you found meaningful work that got you excited every morning. So let's dive a little deeper. Tell us a little bit about what exactly you do and who you do it for. Great question. So I work with CEOs and their leadership teams of companies that, that are mid-sized. So think you know, 50 to 500 employees, they're, they're typically over 20 million in sales, but typically, you know, below that 250 million in sales. The common denominator is they want to grow their business because they have a passion for helping people and making a difference in their communities. And I partner with them to help work with their teams. We get them aligned with the strategic planning system. And most importantly, we help them operationalize it so that they can execute quarter after quarter after quarter, knocking down barriers as they make progress towards that ultimate vision they have for their organization. 
Okay, so there were, forgive me, as a layperson, there were a whole lot of management industry buzzwords and jargon in that answer. So for our listeners' sake and my own, I'm going to make you translate that into English. So give me, you don't have to name names if you, if you have confidentiality agreements or if your clients are secret, um, but give me an example of let's talk about a recent company, what, they, what their problem was that they hired you for, and then how you were able to help them fix it, kind of what was the transformation they experienced. Yeah. Yeah, great question. I'm working with a client right now, Lone Star Communications. You know, they're a great business. They provide the technology in hospitals that allows them to communicate if there's an accident or if a, if a patient goes into cardiac arrest or if you've ever gone to the restroom and there's that little yes, the button pull that cord. says nurse, pull the cord. Well, it used to be that was really a, kind of a non-technical business. Well, today – the nurses wear RFID machines. There's all the data about the kind of drugs that the patient can, can't have. And all this stuff is automated throughout the hospital. And so, uh, number one, the work has become a lot more technical. And then number two, hospitals have been consolidating. So they, never, they no longer want a separate provider in every different area that they have a hospital. They want one provider that can handle everything. And so the um, so the mantra from this CEO that brought me in is that we're either going to grow, acquire, or we're going to be acquired. And we want to be on the, on the offensive here. And so I'm working with them as they go through a growth strategy uh, to really quadruple the size of their company over the next six years. And so you think about what's involved in that. Well, we've got to go acquire a new company. We've got to bring them in and fold them into our culture. And the challenge is, is that, you know, the, the, the culture of your company either absorbs the acquiring company or you get all these fractions of cultures around uh, the different offices. And so we've been working to really strengthen uh, that culture at the home office. And then as we acquire new companies, we just fold them right into our strategic planning system, which is helping those new offices increase their performance much faster getting them aligned with where the mothership is going. And bottom line, for my CEO, just taking a lot of drama out of the execution and people issues that are always a part of scaling a business. Okay, so that's an incredible example. So you're talking about a company that's literally going to sextuple in size, and some of that is happening through acquisition, and you are helping lead that process so that the culture remains consistent, across all of anybody they get acquired. So this not only has relevancy to a large company growing rapidly through acquisition and expansion, but theoretically, if you're an entrepreneur and you're managing a digital team, a, a virtual team that could be 20, 30 people around the globe, all in different offices, all with their own cultures, there's some elements that could trickle down there. So talk a little bit about, so how do you define, because culture is such a, broad word now in the management marketplace. So how do you define, like if someone asked me what our culture was, I don't even know how to answer. So how do I identify what is my culture as opposed to just like a mission statement on a wall? And then how do I communicate that across lots of locations with lots of employees, some of which are from different companies? Yeah, great, great question. And you're right, culture's, you know, very misunderstood today. So culture is what people do when nobody's watching. 
So I, I explain culture this way. My son goes to Texas A&M, and, and whether you're an Aggie fan or not, you might appreciate this story. But the first weekend, we went down to watch a football game. In Texas, it's hot. My wife and I are sitting in the sun. We're, we're baking. And we had gotten to know the, the couple behind us. And, and long story short, it's halftime. And my wife's like, I'm getting up. I'm going to the restroom. So we stand up. And as we stand up, the guy behind us taps on the shoulder. He says, where are you going? And we said, well, we're, we're going to go get something to drink. I mean, it's halftime. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, at Texas A&M, we honor the band just as much as we honor the football team. Nobody goes to the bathroom until the band's done. I looked at my wife. I said, honey, I guess we're going to stay and watch the band, which we did. So it didn't take the chancellor of the university calling me and saying, hey, Mark, whoa, 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 you don't go to the bathroom here or somebody writing me up and saying, hey, we need to have you in and have a little talk with you. It was the, the, the standards of the organization held us accountable to a way of behaving in that situation. And so entrepreneurs that want to scale a great company need to think about what are those behaviors and I grew up Seth I grew up in the technology space and, and one of the things that drove me just batty were owners or or senior leaders that tended to blame things on customers and so you think about a, a cultural behavior when there's a problem is our first view looking at the customer and saying well you know they're they're mismanaged they don't know what they're doing well we documented all that in our product spec sheet or or do we say what could we have done better? If they're having a bad experience, that's our fault. We're going to take accountability and we're going to take ownership. Now, if you're an owner that values that, then you might think, okay, how do I, how do I communicate that to my team? You know, I could call that accountability. I could call that an ownership mentality. I could call that a customer first mentality. How, what you call it really is not as important as what are the behaviors that define that okay first of all what i do with my clients is think about what are the behaviors we want how do we label them and then how do we start to build stories like the story i've created for you around nm that documents what that value is and how we want to live in our culture in our environment okay so that is so i love the aggie example um obviously he learned from someone else who learned from someone else and someone told them that you stay until the band is done. And it got communicated across multiple generations, um, probably, of those people, of those fans, until it finally got down to you. So, so you talked about, so what? how do you identify, what are some of the biggest mistakes um, companies are making when it comes to either documenting their culture, not having one at all, or communicating it to the people that they need to communicate it to? First of all, they do aspirational values that nobody's living. So, you, you know, if you go back to my example of, you know, blaming things on the customer, if, if I got up and gave some big speech on that, and then the next Monday somebody brings a customer issue to me and then I immediately blame the customer, guess what? I'm a hypocrite and that value doesn't matter. And, um, I remember I did a project for a company based out of France, nothing against the French, but one of the values that they wanted to put in place was a timeliness value. They, they were 
I can't remember the exact word they were going to call it, but it was something around meeting start time, end time, you know, production dates are on time, you know, we get done on time. And we went through this whole thing and I was challenging them and, and they said, yeah, 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 that's really what this culture is about. That's the best element. And I asked them, I said, so what time did today's meeting start? And they were like, well, that's different. The meeting I was in, it started 30 right. minutes late. And on the board, on the wall by the company, it said all meetings will start on time, end on time. They had this whole thing. They weren't following that. And guess the reason the meeting was late was because of the president that ran that site was running late. So it wasn't even, be, I mean, it, the, it just was just, and I, so I just said, hey, if you're going to make this a value and you're going to stand on this as an organization, you got to decide if you're willing to live on it, to live it. And I would encourage you to put it in, as a clandestine value for a year and see, can you really live up to that standard? Seth, that's the biggest mistake that companies make. They, they think by setting this value, they're going to change the behavior of everybody else without them themselves making the change. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now you talked, we, we talked about culture and we talked about the, the example of the company that's acquiring and got to maintain consistency throughout. So talk about what if, what if it's not about culture? What are some other issues, if there are any, that you are helping those rapidly growing companies with? Well, the first thing is you've got to get clarity on where you're going. The, the, number, one, the, the number one biggest uh, complaint, if you will, from the staff is we don't know the strategy. You know, we don't know where we're going. And, and to them, it feels like they're a, they're, a, you know, they're a ping pong ball or they're a pinball in a, in a pinball machine, you know, you know, one week it's this initiative, the next week it's that one, the next quarter we're pivoting over here. And to them, they, they don't see rhyme or reason to all the change. Now, part of it is because of where they're positioned in the organization and communication, but this is important. So I work with my clients to establish, first of all, a, uh, a, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal or a moonshot goal or something that says, here's who we aspire to be. And, and it's really about, it's not so much the goal, for example, as it is, is who do we need to become to be the kind of organization that can achieve that kind of goal? So I'm really big on, on identifying the, uh, the identity, right? The identity of the organization, because, uh, you get that right, it can help and couple with some good values, man, that can, that can make a big difference. But that big goal is not enough. People need to have line of sight to what's the next big strategic, uh, you know, base camp or, or milestone that we need to get to. And so I encourage my clients to think in terms of a two to three year strategic goal. It gets them out of the year to year planning that's more tactical, execution oriented, and get some thinking a little bit strategically. So maybe that's implementing a new sales program. Maybe that's focusing on a marketing program or, or installing a new ERP or putting Salesforce in, something that's a little bit more strategic. And then they've got to have that annual goal. And then, and then Seth, where the magic is, is if they can get their 90-day planning right. So if you can set a 90-day plan and then go execute that plan and then learn – from the execution, you know, it, when you take time to reflect, it turns that experience into insight and then adjust the 90-day plan, run another one. 
learn. What are we learning about the market? How are things responding? Set another 90-day plan to go do it. It's that iterative process that really enables companies to get up, you know, that hockey stick, create that S-curve, if you will. Okay. So, and these companies, again, you were talking about, I think 20 million was the starting point for, for, for your sweet spot, which means they've got a CEO, they've got a C-suite, they've got a leadership team. They're not new. They've been around long enough to be that successful. Do you, what issues do you run into in terms of them thinking, how do they reach out to you? Do they think they already know everything? Is there, cause they're so successful. Is there some inciting incident that makes them pick up the phone? How do they, why do they, how do they realize they need you and how do they find you? Well, great question. So I do a lot of speaking and I do public workshops and, you know, so that's a great way to get out in front of people. Uh, I'm a, part of uh of an organization called scaling up uh that get that we're huge fans of Vern on the show it. yeah Vern's you know Vern's our thought leader so I get a lot of leads that come from Vern and the speaking that Vern does so those are probably my biggest uh sources of leads uh, sometimes it's referrals you know I get referrals I work with private equity firms that take me into their portfolio accounts um, I'm doing some really cool stuff pre-close for some portfolio firms that are bringing me in before they close the acquisition to do some strategic plan. You know, the one, number one biggest variability, if you talk to private equity firms, in the success or probability of success of a firm is the people. You know, all the rest they can measure, but it's, it's identifying that leadership. So I go in and help them uh, do a people assessment, do some, do some real live strategic planning before they, uh, before they close the deal. Awesome. So what are, what is your next step? What, what's next for you in the evolution of what you're doing in your culture? Well, great, great question. So I'm working on a book. It's called Cadence Leadership and Creating the Habit of, of Excellence. And so I've got that coming out this year. I'm doing more speaking. I'm doing more events for uh, associations, really working with the you know, today it's a, uh, and you know this as well as I do. I mean, the the way that you scaled a business in the past is different today. And, you know, it's no longer about the four P's of marketing. It's about the four E's. So instead of product, it's about experience. So how do you scale a business today where, you know, your product is no longer a differentiator on a local level? Instead of being in a place, now you're competing with companies all over, maybe all over your city, all over the state, maybe all over the country, maybe all over the world. And how do you continue to hone that uniqueness and that value, that value that's critical uh, to enable, enable you to grow? So I'm doing just a lot more speaking uh, on that topic and working with associations. And then, of course, just working with my clients. You know, I'm blessed to just work with some great clients that are doing great stuff and adding great value in their communities and um, you know that so that's that's what I'm focused on right now okay that obviously is a pretty long list so what do you like best about what you do uh, I love uh, I have a passion for growth and I uh, and I think growth is important because when a company grows it creates opportunity for the people and so if uh, if, if we can help more employees become more, then they can achieve more. And then that gives them flexibility and that gives them choices. They can buy nice things and do things with their family and create great experiences. 
but it also gives them time to make a bigger impact in their communities, whether that's coaching a softball team, uh, getting more involved in their, in their church or some charities. And so I'm really passionate about helping, become, helping people become more so they can uh, earn more so that they can ultimately give more back. And I, and I love working with companies that share that and realize that they've been given a wonderful platform. How do we lever it? Awesome. All right. Well, we know your time is valuable. We greatly appreciate it. For our folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about what you're doing or the book when it comes out, where is the best place for them to go to find more out about yeah. you? Great question. It's uh, riseperformancegroup.com, R-I-S-E, performancegroup.com. And then I'm just launching a new platform in uh, the first of the year called Scaling Up DFW. So they can find me at either one of those places. All right, Mark, we will send them there. Thank you so much for a fascinating interview. We greatly appreciate it. All right, thanks, Seth. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.